Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the city of Lagos and beyond renewed by the gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Yovo. Good morning, church. Today's reading is taken from the book of Ezra, chapter 5. Verses 1 to 17. At the end of the reading, I will say this is the word of God. Hmm? (laughs) Please respond by saying thanks be to God. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At that time, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethabozani, and their associates went to them and asked, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? They also asked, what are the names of those who are constructing this building? But the eye of their Lord was watching over the elders of the Jews and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. This is a copy of the letter that Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethabozani and their associates, the officials of Trans-Euphrates, sent to King Darius. The report they sent him read as follows. To King Darius, cordial greetings. The king should know that we went to the district of Judah to the temple of the great God. The people are building it with large stones and placing the timbers in the walls. The work is being carried on with diligence and is making rapid progress under their direction. We questioned the elders and asked them, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? We also asked them their names so that we could write down the names of their leaders for your information. This is the answer they gave us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, one that a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldean, king of Babylon 
who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. He even removed from the temple of Babylon the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to the temple in Babylon. Then King Cyrus gave them to a man named Sheshbazar, whom he had appointed governor. And he told him, take these articles and go and deposit them in the temple in Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God on its site. So this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem. From that day to the present, it has been under construction, but is not yet finished. Now, if it pleases the king, let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did, in fact, issue a decree to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us his decision in this matter. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just bow down heads and invite the Lord to be with us in a powerful way. You see, God is always, God is everywhere. But there are times when the presence of God in the sovereignty of God, the Lord allows his presence to be made tangible. Let's ask for a tangible presence this morning, a tangible outpouring. Just lift up the name of the Lord Jesus where you are seated. Just ask that the Lord will reveal himself to you in a mighty way. He says concerning Samuel that the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. Lord, we invite you this morning. Lord, we invite you this morning. Lord, we invite you this morning. <laughs> Lord, we invite you this very morning, this moment. Lord, let this be a Kairos moment. Let this be a season, oh God, that things are changed. Lord, let this be a time, Lord, where things shift. Lord, let this be a time where, Lord, we step into newness. Lord, let this be a time, oh God, Lord, where paradigms are changed. Lord, let this be a time where burdens are lifted. Lord, let this be a time, Lord, where we come in contact with glory. Lord, let this be a time when your presence is so tangible. Lord, let this be a time, Lord, where we are transformed. Lord, let this be a time where no one remains the same. That we might come under, Lord, the mighty move of the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus. simple song if you know it let's just sing it together
oppositions over difficulties. Lord, we exalt you this morning. Oh, Let me start this way. There are two groups of people that I feel very strongly the Lord wants to visit you this morning. There are some of you where you have been stuck in things, perhaps sin, perhaps patterns in your family. The Lord will lift those yokes this morning. Two words came very clearly to me as I prayed and, and agonized, you know, during the week, but particularly yesterday and this morning for, for, for this sermon and this morning, deliverance and reversals, deliverance and reversals, and so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, please make sure that you are tuned, don't let anybody distract you, don't let anything um, um, get you off course, God is with us this morning, and so what we're going to do this morning, I may not have time to be able to do a proper exposition as I want to, because I believe that God is taking us somewhere, and so what we're just going to do is, we're going to prepare to take off, all right? And so please stay with me. I beg you, please stay with me. I'm going to have some time to pray at the end. 
So what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Ezra and we've titled this series, The Gracious Turnaround. And you see, what we've seen particularly last week, but even just since we started, is that God walks around turnarounds in the middle of opposition, in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of challenges. God is not turning things around that are already in a good state. God is not turning things around where there is no need for things to be turned around. God works in the middle of difficulty and opposition. And so last week, Pastor Femi showed us um, in chapter 4 that the people of God were constantly being opposed from generation to generation to generation. And what we see today in many ways, today's sermon is just a, a part 2 of what Pastor Femi showed us last week. Because when we enter into Ezra chapter 5, what you see there is that the work that they, had been, that they had been on had paused for about 16 years. The last time that the project of the temple was, was done was in Ezra chapter 3 verse 8. And, and they had just put, they started in the second month of the second year. And so theologians tell us and historians tell us if you calculate the time between Ezra 3 verse 8 and Ezra 5 verse 1 and 2 and Ezra 4 24, it's just about 16 years. Imagine, and maybe some of us are in that situation where you have put the blocks in the ground, you have poured the cement in, but you can't even put another block on top. This project has stagnated. And can I just inform you, if you are unaware, friends, that you are at war. The reality that when we are Christians, when we are children of God, is that we are at war. Colossians 1.13 tells us that when Christ saves us, he takes us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And guess what? Those two realities, those two realities, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, are opposed to each other. They are realities of war. And some of us, we, 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 are, we, are in a, we are in a state where we say, oh, I'm a cool person. I don't have any problem. There's nobody that I hate. There's no family cause in my line. There's, I'm just a gentleman. Like Pastor Femi said last week, you better wake up. Because if your name has been joined to Christ, guess what? You are at war. In February 24, 2022, the um, war in Ukraine took a new dimension. You see, since about 2014, there had been skirmishes in the area called Crimea, which was in conflict between um, um, Russia and, and Ukraine. But then, February 24 was a new phase because Putin now decided, no, no, I'm going in all the way. And for those of us who, you know, were in Nigeria, like, what does this have to do with me? You know, Russia is so far away. Like, what's my business? And we have the luxury of saying that because our name is not Tedo Anom. You see, Tedo Anom had the great privilege of his life of marrying a Ukrainian beauty, a Ukrainian doctor. He tricked her to Nigeria to follow him. And so they had decided that year, as they often do, that they were going to go and see her family, right? And so they went in January. And against all advice, come back. This thing is going to take a new turn. Come back, come back. He said, no, uh, why? Our flight is on February 24th. I'm going to return safely. Nothing will happen. And so they packed their bag February 24th got to the airport and they were told Putin has invaded Ukraine. Putin has invaded Ukraine and so they couldn't travel. They had to go back home. And Tedo says that 
that for about three or four weeks, in fact, if you hear the full story of how they came back, it was a miracle. But for about three or four weeks, they were stranded because there was no way for them to go out. Flights were canceled, different things weren't working, and so they went back to the apartment complex where our parents live in the cap- outside the capital city of Kiev. And Tedo says that often when, you know, there's, maybe there's a bomb or something, the siren will, will sound, and they will run all the way down from the 14th floor of the apartment complex where they're living, they will run down to bunkers and they'll go and hide. And the siren will sound and they will run down, go and hide. Said at one point, you just got tired. <laughs> like, like, what is this? And so they, they just stayed upstairs, they covered the windows and then they will stay under the bed. In God's kindness, the Lord had mercy on them and God took them out. But he was stuck for three weeks with his wife and his daughter in a world that had absolutely no business with them. And in the same way, Christians, that is our reality. That because just as Tedo was joined to Ukraine by his wife, we have been joined to Christ and we are at war, friends. There is an enemy that viciously hates us. Many of us know that the people who are kidnapped here, they're not kidnapped because, oh, they are, they are, you know, they are nice or they know a lot of stuff. No, they are kidnapped because of who they are connected to. They are kidnapped because of the reality that is attached to them. And it is in the same way with us. In verse 3, we are told that the people of God were in a certain place in the land of, of Trans-Euphrates, a region where there were other people there that were enemies of God and they hated them. Friends, the enemy hates us. But the truth is that because we are connected to Christ, we can yet advance in the face of opposition. Hear what the Bible says about the ministry of the Lord Jesus. In Psalm 110, verse verse 1 to 2, he says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." And he says in verse 2, rule in the midst of your enemies. See, Jesus is seated, highly exalted at the right hand of God. And guess what? It is within the context of opposition that he rules. But friends, that is not just a reality for Jesus. That is your reality as well. Because in Psalm 23 verse 5, it says, I, the Lord prepares a table for me where? In the presence of my enemies. Because we are connected to Jesus, the fact that Jesus is experiencing victory in the middle and in the context of opposition, that same reality can be yours. Many people say, oh, fall down and, and die prayer goes too far. I say, no, no. The problem is that it doesn't go far enough. Because you see, God is not so much interested in destroying your enemies. God is so interested in preserving your enemies so that they see his victory at work in your circumstance. And if you are connected to Christ, friends, you can be opposed and yet advance. Your opposition can become a a, a springboard for you to experience victory. Your setback can become a setup for a comeback. And I say to somebody here, in the name of Jesus, you will experience that reality. And so what we are going to do this morning is to just continue from where the Lord has already started us off on. And so we'll be considering the topic opposed yet advancing. Opposed yet advancing. Now we see three things here. We advance by authority. We advance by unity. We advance by prophecy. We advance by authority. We advance by unity. And we advance by prophecy. Very quickly. We advance by authority. Last week, Pastor Femi showed us two ways in which the enemy opposes us. He opposes us by deceiving us. He opposes us by frustrating us. And we see one more in this passage. The enemy opposes us by intimidation. 
He opposes us by intimidating us. In verses 3 and 4, you see, the governor finds out these people are doing this project that has been on for 16 years and nothing has been made. But now they start doing the project again. And he goes, he asks two questions. Who authorized you? And in verse 4, he says, what are the names of the people doing this project? Who authorized you? And what are the names of people building this project? And friends, those are two ways the enemy seeks to intimidate us. One is to question the reality of who sent us. Who authorized you? We live in Babylon. We live in the Babylonian Empire. You guys have no business doing this thing. Who authorized you? Who sent you? And if you know the story of the Bible very well, that sounds eerily familiar to Genesis chapter 3 where Satan comes to Eve and he asks her the question, did God really say? You see, the devil works in different ways, but what he's ultimately after is for us to doubt the authority of God in our circumstances. It's for us to doubt the reality that God actually sent us and God controls things. He wants us to doubt the character and the faithfulness of God. And so, Tatinai comes, the governor, and he says, who authorized you? And maybe some of you, there have been those projects, those things that you know God has put a dream in your heart. God has asked you to do things. And it's always like, who even asked me to do this thing anyway? But you see, when the enemy goes for the throat, he ultimately aims for the jugular so that he squeezes life out of you. And so he asks, who authorized you? But secondly, it is, what are the names of the people who are doing this thing? You see, the devil comes after us to question God. But he realizes that when we question God, because there is no longer any basis for our identity, we can fall. And so he says, who authorized you? But what are the names of these people? Friends, and you see, when the devil comes that way, what he's ultimately after is authority. Who has given you the power to do this thing? Who has given you the right to do this thing? Who has commanded you to do this thing? And do you even think you can do it yourself? And you see, friends, many of us, this is where we fail because we often think that, oh, it is just about strategy. It is just about, eh, maybe if they, if I know somebody who knows somebody who can speak on my behalf, then maybe I'll be able to get away in this thing. But these people realize, no, no, this is not a question about strategy. This is not a question about paying taxes. This is not a question about lobbying. This is a question about authority. And so in verses 11 to 12, because the governor didn't get the result that he wants to get, he writes a letter to the, to, the, to the king, to the president, and says, hear all the things that these people are saying. And he tells us their response in verse 11 and 12. He says, they say, we are servants of who? The God of heaven and earth. We are servants of who? The God of heaven and earth. And in verse 12, they say again, the God of heaven has asked us to do these things. In other words, our authority is not based on what we can design. It's not based on how well we can think. It's not based on the sufficiency of our strategy. It is based on God. No wonder Paul can say our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of God who has appointed us to be ministers of a new covenant. In other words, as a Christian, friends, you have been authorized by divine mandates. You have the backing of the Trinity behind you. You have the God of the universe solidly behind you. In Yoruba language, they say we don't fear the one that we have been sent to. We fear the one who sent us. And friends, when you have the king of all the earth behind you, you no longer have any reason to be afraid when the opposition comes because it is the God of heaven and earth. 
And you see that in the response all the way from verses 11 to verse 16. These people tell, tell, tell the governor, they say, no, no, no. Our history is actually the history of God at work. He's the one that sent us to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar didn't just have a good military strategy. It was that our God sent us to Nebuchadnezzar. Our God has been sovereignly controlling all things in his hands. Friends, we serve a God for whom history is his story. We serve a God for whom time is his. We serve a God for whom all the cattle on a thousand hills, like Dickie Femme was just reminding us, belong to him. He's not limited by time. He's not limited by chance. He's not limited by strategy. He's not limited by anything. He says, I look for someone to swear by. There was no other person, so I swore by myself. He says in Isaiah chapter 63, that I look for someone to fight for me, but there was no one. So I myself brought out salvation by my own hand. Friends, that is the God that we serve. That is the God that we serve. He's the one who holds all things in the palms of his hands. He's the one who sits exalted above the circle of the earth. There is no opposition, no difficulty, no adversity, nothing that you are going through that is too much for him. No wonder Abraham Kuyper, a Christian politician, pastor, journalist, newspaper editor, you can, he goes on and on. He says this. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, over not a few things, who is sovereign, over not just some things, who is sovereign, over not most things, who is sovereign over all does not cry, mine. Oh, is it your parenting? Is it your marriage? Oh, is it your business? Oh, is it the economy? Oh, is it, what is it? Christ says, this is mine. And because it is mine, I have authority to show that I'm sovereign over all things, friends. We serve the God of heaven and earth. But because we serve the God of heaven and earth, our identity now flows from that reality. And so they say, oh, you asked us, who are we? <laughs> yes, by ourselves we are nothing. But we are the servants of this great God. Our identity is so tied to this great God that because he seated high above all circumstances, because he advances in the face of opposition, guess what, Tatanai? We are servants of his and we will yet prevail over this thing. And maybe there's someone here, you're wondering, oh, like, what, what am I going to do about this thing? Inform your problem, not just of how great your God is, but inform your problem of how good your God can enable you to face all of those oppositions that you're facing. And guess what, friends? That same confidence can be ours. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and earth not some, not most, not many, not most things. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, you have a long-standing issue in your family. Guess what? All authority has been given to him. Oh, you have marital difficulties. Guess what? All authority has been given to him. Nothing is too much for this God. You see, the problem most times, friends, is that we are so in tune with what is happening around us that we are out of tune with the reality that our God is sovereign over all things. Because of FOMO, fear of missing out, many of us are so attuned to the things that actually squeeze out life from our faith. Ah, you see it on IG, you see it on Instablog, you see it on all these things, and we know all the data. Ah, this is what the inflation rate is. This is what the unemployment rate is. You don't have any business 
knowing all of those things, but somehow it is important. Oh, this is what this president did. This is what this person did. And it squeezes out the life out of your faith. Friends, meditate on the reality, not just around you, but meditate on the reality of who your God is. We advance by authority. But we also advance by unity. We advance by unity. And so I don't know about you. I hated group projects in university. I, I just, I, I hated it. Because now there are like 20 people in one group. All of us have contributed 1,000 naira for us to photocopy and for somebody to do research. And this thing is not moving forward. Everybody knows it's not moving forward, but nobody wants to say it's not moving forward. Because there is, there is, there is like, all of us, our marks are, are tied to this thing, right? So what eventually happens is that a few people, two or three people, end up doing the work for the whole group. I hated them. And maybe some of us, that is the mindset that we have. Like, ah, collaboration, no, 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 no. Let me think about this thing myself. Let me advance by myself. But what we see actually in this passage is that, no, no, no. We don't advance by, our, by being on our own in silos. We advance by unity. Look at what happens in verses 5, verse 1 to 2. It says, now, Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the prophet, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Oh, Okay. Think he will stop there, but it says in verse 2: Zerubbabel, the son of Shelter, Joshua, the son of Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And what we see here is that all of the people of God decided that no, 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 this work of God is not just something that some of us can do, it's not something that just myself can do, it is something that all of us are required to do. And in fact, the Bible gives us the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah. And we know that in Haggai 1 and 12, that it wasn't just that it was the leaders of the people that did it. It was also that the people of God were part of that whole project. In other words, everybody came on board to say, no, this is our thing. And we're going to advance. The only way we can advance is by all of us doing the work of God. And can I just tell you, friends, there is no one person who is sufficient by themselves to do the work of God. There is no one person who is sufficient by themselves to bring about the advancement that we all need and we are all seeking. In fact, in this passage, we see the three primary offices through which God spoke to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. There was the office of the prophet, which we see here represented by Haggai and Zechariah. There was the office of the priest, we see here represented by Joshua, the son of Josadak. And there was the office of the king. And even though at this time there was no longer any king in the, in the, in, because the people of God were now in exile, had just come out of exile and the kingdom was no more, there was still Zerubbabel, who was the governor of the people of God. And so he was representing that office. And you see, what this actually tells us is that there is no one person who is sufficient to be able to carry all that God actually can dispense to his people. There is no one person who is sufficient in and of themselves to be everything that the people of God need per time. And the reality, friends, is that that not only points to the insufficiency of the people of God to represent God, but it points to the reality that all of us, we are mad and broken. You see, the prophets 
were people who spoke the word of God to the people, but the priests were also those who presented the requests of the people to God. They stood between God and the people, and the, and the king was one who represented God's righteous reign to his people. And what we see, in fact, in this passage is that because there was no longer any king, it was a representation of the fact that the people of God had sinned and walked away from God. It was a representation of the fact that the people of God were now separated from God's fullness and God's full counsel for them, friends. And friends, if you are here this morning, can I suggest that that same reality that we find here is represented in our lives, is represented in our circumstances, is represented in the fact that we need someone who speaks the word of God to us. We need someone who stands before us for God. And we need someone who mediates God's righteous rule and reign in our lives. And the truth is that many times, friends, we, we, we think that we are those people. We think that we are the one who can, oh, I can... I don't need God, actually. I can be the prophet of my life. I don't need a priest, actually. I, can, I don't even need God, so I can interface between God and myself. I don't need a king, and actually I can be my own king and rule my own life, friends. And the Bible calls that sin. It calls that rebellion. But guess what, friends? There was one who came, who is the true prophet, priest, and king. There was one who sufficiently stood in the place, not just of the people of Israel, and fulfilled all the failures that the people of Israel and all the things they were supposed to do before God could have done. There was one who now also stands in our own place before God. Jesus is the righteous priest. Jesus is the righteous prophet. Jesus is the righteous king in our lives. Jesus is the prophet who always clearly heard God's word and always clearly spoke God's truth. Jesus is the priest, we are told in Hebrews, who offered not just lambs, but he offered his own body himself for us so that those of us who had always gone our own way and we had gone in rebellious acts can now stand before God. And Hebrews tells us that no, he is not just one who delivers for some time, he is one who saves to the uttermost all those who come to God by him. But guess what? Jesus is also the righteous king. In fact, Philippians tells us that because he humbled himself, God has now highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name so that at the mention of the name of Jesus, what happens? Every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Friends, the true prophet, priest, and king that we need is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is in Jesus that we find God united. It is in Jesus that we find God as a whole come for you and I. But because we now have this Jesus who has been united for us and brought about unity between us and God, friends, that same reality of unity can be experienced in our lives. That same reality can be experienced in our circumstances. You see, Ephesians 4, 7 tells us that when this Christ ascended, he gave different gifts to the people of God. And he says, so that we may all come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. In other words, God has deposited something in you. God has deposited something in me. And there is no advancing in my own life without getting the things that God has deposited in your life. We need each other, friends. You see, God has not called us to competition. God has called us to collaboration. God has not called us to war with one another. God has called us to cooperation. And can I suggest to you, friends, that if we do not come together as God's people to serve God with our gifts, serve God with the things that he has given to us, going to GC and all these other avenues, we will not, many of us will not experience some kind of advancement in the face of our position. 
But there's something else that we see here that I find really interesting. It is that these people realized there was no need for competition. The prophets didn't say, no, 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 no. I have the microphone now. I'm going to speak and then everything will just appear. No, no, no. They recognized that they still needed to be done building. That there was something the priests could do that the prophets couldn't do. There was something Zerubbabel as the king representative could do that they couldn't do. And all of them came together. They collaborated. They didn't compete with one another so that they could find and bring about that thing. The advancement that God was asking them to be. Friends, can I suggest to you this morning. God has given you gifts. They are not for competition. They are not for striving. They are for collaboration. Maybe God has given you gifts to serve in a unique way. We're just talking about Osho. Maybe God has given you gifts in strategy and planning and finance and all these other things. There are avenues, there are ways that God wants you to deploy those gifts. And the truth is that often until we begin to deploy our gifts in other areas of service, God will not meet us in the place where we need him. So we must advance by unity. Psalm 133 verse 1 to 3 says these very beautiful words. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the bed, running down on Aaron's bed, down on the collar of his robe. It says, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings. The King James says the Lord commands his blessings, even life forevermore. In other words, there is an, a measure of anointing, there is a measure of grace, there is a measure of the presence of God in your situation that you will not experience unless you work with unity with other believers. Maybe there are people you don't like, and, and that's true, like there will always be people that we don't like, we don't get along with. But our differences should not be the occasion for division. Our differences should be the occasion for collaboration. Because we cannot advance apart from unity. But then lastly, we advance by prophecy. We advance by prophecy. And so there's a recurring phrase or set of words in this passage, and you may already have noted it, and it's very unique. In Ezra 5, verse 1 and 2, we are told that there was Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, who prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God who was over them. And then in verse 2, it says again that even though there was Zerubbabel and there was Josadak who were doing the work of rebuilding, the prophets of God were with them supporting them. And here we see the reality and the need for the prophetic. The reality and the need for the prophetic. And if you, if you don't pay attention, this passage, you can just miss it. Because something weird is going on here. Why did God still need to speak to these people prophetically? Why couldn't they have just been reading the law of Moses? Because as Toki told us about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, that they had decided in Ezra chapter 3 that they were going to go back to the ancient pattern and do things the way it was done before. And so they had patterned the rebuilding of this temple after the way Solomon rebuilt the temple. They patterned the officers of this temple after the way it was patterned in the Old Testament. And so God could have said, oh, these people are already doing all that they need to do. They already have my word. So there's no more need for me to reveal myself to them prophetically. And yet God chooses to do this. Why? I think it is because, friends, God loves to reveal himself. 
God loves to reveal himself. God loves for his people to have tangible, experiential realities of his presence. And God knows precisely because we live in a fallen world, precisely because sometimes the realities of our situation is so much more in our face than the reality of his word. He breathes upon his word and he causes his word to come to us, not just in the book, not just in the person of Jesus Christ, but also through prophetic means. What is prophecy? Someone may be asking. There are different ways of describing or defining what prophecy is. But here's a grade one level description, okay? Grade one level description. A prophecy or prophetic word is a communication from God that brings a more immediate awareness of his presence, a revelation of his purposes for your benefit and his glory. A prophecy is a communication from God that brings a more immediate awareness of his presence, a revelation of his purposes for your benefit and his glory. I'll say that one more time. A prophecy is a, is a communication from God, so it could be visual, you may see things, it could be audio, you may hear things, but it is a communication from God that brings a more immediate awareness of God's presence and revelation of his purposes for his glory and your benefit. God knew that these people, ah, no, no, things are so hard around them. They, they, they've, been not, they've not been able to accomplish this thing for 16 years. They've been reading the book all along. They've been reading the word of God, but somehow something has happened and they've not been able to experience the reality of God. And so God comes in the prophetic means. And friends, can I just tell you that God loves to reveal himself. Maybe there are some of you, you've, 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 the reality of your difficulty is so in your face. It's so visible to you that even when you read the word of God, it is like something has been blocked and you can't see. Friends, can I tell you that God loves to reveal himself? And we see this in the story of the Bible, that all true prophecies were pointing to the ultimate revelation of Jesus. The ultimate revelation of God, who is Jesus? In John chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus was talking. And John now interprets for us what Jesus said. He says that Jesus said this because Isaiah saw his glory and spoke about him. In other words, the ultimate testimony of scripture is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus rose up from the dead in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, when he was speaking to his disciples, he says, oh no, all these things that have been written in scriptures were ultimately about me. In other words, I am the end of prophecy. And so no wonder in Revelation 19, verse 10, when, we, when John the Baptist sees the, uh, John, John the Revelator sees the exalted Jesus Christ in the new heavens, he says, all these things, and then he says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Is the spirit of prophecy. True prophecy ultimately aims to reveal God's plans and purposes, but also give us an immediate awareness of his presence. But can I tell you, friends, that God still reveals himself. God still reveals himself, and we see this in this passage. Let me just highlight four quick things that God does in this passage through the prophetic word and then we'll get up to pray. The prophetic word in this passage brings about rebuke and correction. Rebuke and correction. We don't see this in this passage, but in Haggai chapter 1 verse, verses um, 3 and 4, it tells us that because the people of God had stopped this project for a long time, it need, they needed the prophetic word to actually wake them out of their slumber and bring correction to them. 
The prophetic word of God comes to us in different circumstances, friends, that God wants to awaken us to the reality of his purposes and the reality of his plans because oftentimes our hearts are dead and comatose because of the things we are seeing around us. And some of you know that in your own lives. There was a time in my life when I was in a friend's house. And so this is my friend's house, I was there. My friends were there, about three guys. And then he, their mom was there. And then there was another mother who also came and visited them with her own children. So these were three sets of boys. And so in true Christian fashion of the olden days, like Toki reminded us last week, they gathered together to pray at the end. And a prophetic word came. He said, there is somebody here who is stealing. God said, you should stop stealing. Otherwise, you will experience shame and exposure very soon. What everybody did not know, that that prophetic word was about me. At that point in my life, I was, I was a nerd. I loved library books. But there were these precious books in the library that nobody was reading. Like, why is this thing wasting away? This is a huge resource that people need in their lives. Nobody was reading. And so I would help myself to library books and take them back home and keep. And I kept a lot of library books. And that word came, in fact, I remember at the end, you know, the, my friend's mom who was there, she was arguing, and no, 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 this is not like, my children are good children, and I know you, Emmanuel, like nobody steals in this house. <laughs> but that prophetic word was needed at that particular time to bring correction and, and to waken me up because I was dead. My heart was dead to the reality of the fact that I was taking things that no longer belonged to me. Prophecy comes to bring about rebuke and correction. But we see something else here. Prophecy comes to bring about clarity and direction. And you see that in verse 1. They had no idea what they were supposed to do. But it says, because Zechariah and Haggai were there, they prophesied over them in the name of the God of Israel who was with them. And so they now knew how to go around doing the building project. They got the strength that they needed to go around doing the building project. Friends, God sends his prophetic word to bring about clarity and direction. Sometimes we are reading the word of God and it's so like, ah, God, yes, I, I know, but what do I do about this business? What do I do at this particular time? What do, I, what do I invest in? All of those kind of things. And God doesn't want to sidestep our minds. That's not what I'm saying. But God sometimes comes in the power of the prophetic means to direct us on what we need to do. Oh, you remember Joseph in the Old Testament. It was because of the prophetic revelation that God had given to Pharaoh and the fact that Joseph was able to interpret those things prophetically. Joseph then knew, oh, this is what we should do about the financial policy of Egypt. And because of that, Joseph saved not just the nation of Egypt, but he also saved the people around him who were belonging to him because of the prophetic word. And friends, that is not just a reality in scriptures, that is a reality in the present as well. Again, if I can be so indulgent as to give one more example from my personal life. There was a lady that I knew in the church that I grew up in, my parents' church. This lady had been single for the longest time. Godly lady, she had been single for the longest time. And I had a dream. I had a dream as I was probably maybe like 10 or 11. And I had a dream and I told her. I told my parents and then my mom told her, Auntie Bola, I see you in a wedding gown. White wedding gown and you are married we're walking down the aisle or in the church getting married to this person who i couldn't see his face but he was a fair complexion person there was no way i could have known that as a 10 year old 
there was no way I could have known that. But somehow, in God's providence, it so happened that somebody was talking to her at that particular time, who she probably wasn't considering, but because of the prophetic word, even though all the things are lined up, she was like, ah, man, I don't want to go with this person. But because of the prophetic word, she got married to that person. I'm not saying every dream that somebody has about your spouse. That's not what I'm saying. My point, though, is that God brings clarity and direction through the prophetic word. Is there somebody whose faith is rising this morning? Because we will pray and we will ask God for things. Amen. The third thing we see in this passage is that God brings support to the prophetic word. In verse 2, we are told that the prophets were there prophesying over them. The people were doing the work. But because of the prophets who were there, they were there supporting them. And the truth, friends, is that especially in times like this, we need support. Not just from people around us, not just from our social network, not just from things happening around, but God's prophetic word supporting us as we are going through trials and challenges. Some of you may have heard of the name Andrew Wilson, a pastor in the UK. He and his wife had been married for a few years and they had given birth to, I think, about two children. And those two children had special needs. And if you know anybody who has special needs kids, that was, it was trying for them. And they had decided, no, we are, not, we are no longer doing this again. This is all. This is the life God has called us to. This is a very hard life. But we're still going to, we're no longer having kids. We are continuing. And he was in a meeting one day. And someone prophesied and said, a, God is saying, I see you as you are going through that. I am with you. I will help you. I will prosper your ministry as you are going through all of those things. But B, don't be afraid to have another child again because this next child will not, have, will not be a special needs child. Apart from the prophetic word, there was no way that man, even though they wanted to have a large family, there was no way he was going to go ahead with it. But because the prophetic word came at that particular instant, where there was huge need, when they were in trials in their life, that prophetic word brought support. There's somebody here, the word of God will come to you in a special way this morning. And the Lord will support you through the trials and challenges that you're experiencing in the name of Jesus Christ. But lastly, the prophetic word also brings about flourishing. The prophetic word also brings about flourishing. See, it wasn't just enough that the prophetic word was, was with them to bring about rebuke, to bring about clarity, to bring about support. It was also that the prophetic word brought about flourishing. In Ezra chapter 6 verse 14, we see that later. That when this project is, is finished, it says that the people, the elders of Israel continue to build and they prospered under the preaching, it says in the NIV. But in other version, it says under the prophecy of Zechariah and Haggai. Flourishing. Pastor Femi has shared with us where they were in a meeting a number of years ago and he made this statement inspired by the Holy Spirit of God prophetically that there was somebody here that their company was letting people go. You will not be let go. You will be retained. I don't know if you've known people like that. You've been in situations and circumstances like that. The truth, friends, is that it is always almost a 50-50% chance whether you will stay or you won't stay. And yet, the Lord inspired him to say that word. And as God would have it, that person went and I think they traveled or something. So they didn't get a communication from them. And then they came back on Monday. And what they saw was that they had gotten an email of rejection. 
And if the person had gotten that email of rejection, it would have been like, ah, the prophetic word didn't come to pass. But very soon, shortly after, another email came and said, no, you have been retained and you fulfill this role. Why? Because the prophetic word of God came that caused about the flourishing of that person. Can I say to somebody here that the Lord will send his word in the name of Jesus and bring about flourishing in your life in the name of Jesus. The Lord will send about his word to bring about flourishing in the name of Jesus. Oh, some of us are here and are saying, oh, well, but Emmanuel, prophecies, ah, all these things is subject to debate. Oh, all these people that are just calling out phone numbers on the internet, they're just doing different things. Do you know what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says? It says, don't quench the spirit. How? It says, do not despise prophecies. So we test them, but we say, Lord, send your prophetic word because we need your prophetic word to thrive. We need your prophetic word to bring about flourish. Let's stand to our feet. And so because of that prophetic word, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14, he says, Timothy, the prophecy has come to you. He says, do not neglect the gift that was given to you that came how? Through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. What I want us to do this morning is to just, wherever you are, just begin to ask the Lord, Father, bring about flourishing in my life. Some of you, the Lord has given you some prophetic words in the past. God has said certain things to you. You've seen in dreams, you've seen revelations, you've seen different things. Begin to wage war with those prophecies. And say, Father, bring it to come. Bring it to pass. Bring about the fulfillment. Bring about the flourishing in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City